Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Predator is over. It's showtime, kid. Not assassins. Now, what do we got to do? In a part of the world where there are no rules. We pick up their trailer, the chopper, run them down, grab those hostages before anybody knows we were there. What do you mean, we? Deep in the jungle, where nothing that lives is safe. You lose it here. You're in a world of hurt. Showtime, kid. Knock, knock. An elite rescue squad. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> is being led by the ultimate warrior. We need the best. That's why you're here. But now... What's got Philly so spooked? There's something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no man. They're up against the ultimate enemy. Holy mother of God. Nothing like it has ever been on Earth before. She says the jungle just came alive and took him. We cannot see it. No blood, no bodies. We hit nothing. But it sees the heat of our bodies and the heat of our fear. Whatever it is out there, it killed Hopper. And now it wants us. It kills for pleasure. He will skin the lion! It hunts for sport. He's killing us one at a time. We're all gonna die. But 
This time, it's picked the wrong man to hunt. If it bleeds, we can kill it. There are a lot of lines in this movie, and I did, I only sent you one of them in our text last night, which I won't repeat here, but it is gold. It is Shane Black gold. <laughs> Before we start, this movie, early in the film, somewhat early, there is an Arnold Schwarzenegger one-liner as uh, as he uh, throws the knife at the uh, the guy and says, stick around. <laughs> <laughs> Are, it, when did that start? Do you remember the history of Arnold Schwarzenegger's one-liners? Oh my goodness, what a fantastic question. I, I feel like in, uh, I, I, I don't know if it counts, in The Terminator, he has, stay here, I'll be back. And the, as he's in the police station, he looks around and then he comes back and um, crashes into the place with the vehicle on his search for uh, Sarah Connor. You're fired in True Lies... I mean, I feel like, you know, see you at the party. Richter was one and uh, it's not exactly the one, the cheesy one liner. Let off some steam, Bennett from Commando. Stick around, Predator. Hasta la vista, baby. How about your luggage from Eraser? <laughs> There's I let him go. And remember when I said I promised to kill you last? I lied. Both of which I lied. Commando. <laughs> and th that was Commando Raw Deal. Those were both before this. So, 84 was a Terminator. 85 was Commando. Remember, Sully, when I promised to kill you last. Predator was 87. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Big one. Uh, Running Man was, uh, was I'll Be Back. Also this year. In 87. Right. Uh, only, Killian, I'll Be Back, yeah. Only in a rerun. <laughs> no, that was not him. Only in a rerun. Only in a rerun, kid. Yeah. Yeah, twins. Uh, this one also yeah, had this one, get to back. the chopper. Get to the chopper. Consider that a divorce. What <laughs> movie was that? Uh, what was that one? <laughs> it's uh, Total Recall. Total Recall, right? To Sharon Stone, right, right, right. How about it's not a tumor? So I feel like it had to be the whole thing, even though it wasn't designed as like one of his cheesy quips. The I'll be back from the terminator that kind of became the start of these running jokes that he he uh throws that line in a lot of subsequent movies uh you know he said it in commando the running man kindergarten cop the last action hero which is my favorite when he goes i bet you think i'm going to say something like i'll be back or something well rubber baby buggy bumpers <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget uh, the expendables too I bet. Expendables 2. Yes, Expendables <laughs> 2. So all uh, all the Terminator movies. And so that's probably the line that uh, you know started all of this. And then, you know, and then it just kind of goes from there cuz Commando he had some lines. So I guess this just the stick around. That's like the super cheesy line because he ends up getting a lot of those. Like he's got the I'll be back, you know, other things, but the but the um stick around is the cheesy Arnold Schwarzenegger line in this film the one i regret that didn't really take off was everybody chill <laughs> <laughs> and other classics from batman and robin 1997 okay let's oh move on. geez yes let's move on predator uh, here we are yeah 1987 john mctiernan what do you want to what do you want to say i mean it's just uh it's just i love this movie i love this movie irrationally and it's not i know there are problems 
<laughs> I think we need to start like we did last week with inner space talking visual effects. That's how we Absolutely. decided with this series, you know, you know, we should talk visual effects first since That's this this whole crux of this series is the 1988 Academy Award nominees for best visual effects and some non-nominees that we've included since there were only two. This is the second actual nominee for visual effects in a year that has a lot of films with great visual effects. How do they work for you here? It's so funny to watch this movie now and look at just how effective the alien vibrating space look works, even though it looks cheaper to me than it ever has. And yet it is it works so, so well. It is haunting and it is such a like a, a comparatively easy effect for you know displaying this complicated alien machine and yet still showing threat illustrating threat in space i mean this whole thing is just it's, it's effectively home alone in the jungle and you know the fact that you can't see him is is incredible and then when you start to see him it's even it just it, it amplifies the the just fantastical nature of his powers and it's such a an easy effect it just uh, it's amazing it holds up incredibly well i'm actually curious now to go back and revisit the predator sequels the uh, alien versus predator movies to see how they're achieving it I, I feel like as i've watched later films in the the predator world and i've come back to this one i always find that it looks pretty rough here but still effective enough like it actually pulls it off in a way where i can still kind of buy it you know and i think that's something charming about that it it's I guess what they did is, you know, they had a, a an actor in a bright red suit running around doing all of the scenes. Uh, they removed it with chroma key. They shot the take a second time with no actors, um, essentially a plate is what we would call it. Uh, although I don't know if they were considering it that at the time with a wider lens, a 30% wider lens, they would combine the takes and the jungle from the second take filled in that empty space but because it was wider, the image was tiny bit smaller, and so it actually kind of ended up creating that bend, that distortion in the shot, which I didn't realize. I think I thought that they were doing something else with it because it looks – there's like this layered look to it, and it has kind of this funky feel. But largely, I find it's effective. It's definitely more effective when it's closer than it is farther away. Sometimes when it's farther away and it's moving around, it doesn't look quite like it's correct in the environment. And that's something that always made me feel like they added it in later. And I don't know if that's, I'm not exactly sure the reasons for that, but it, sometimes it works better than others. I, I think I know what you're talking about, uh, you know, especially when Billy's like looking at it in the trees and it, you kind of see just a little bit moving. For, to me, those distant shots actually are cleaner. Be, you know, it looks more like a figure of a person and not bent space like it does when it's close up. Like when it comes over Arnold sh Arnold's shoulder and kind of in front of his face, there's one sequence that's just mind-blowingly cool uh, in the last bit of the film. And that compared to watching it jump from branch to branch at a distance, I f it, that felt to me like a, a, a choice. Like we 
in order for you to really see that it's there, we have to make it much crisper. And that effectively separates it more from its environment. And it, it felt like a, a shot of necessity or a composite of necessity rather than art that they were creating with those close-up effects, which just still are fantastic to me. There's also the, um, you know, we've get at the very beginning, briefly, we're in space, we see a ship arrive, and that's kind of like the uh, the start of things. It's pretty simple, but we have that as an effect. There's also the decision to um, kind of play around with the um, thermal vision, which is a, a fun little effect that they use. They couldn't actually use infrared film because it actually doesn't the it doesn't register the range of body temperature wavelengths so they had to use an inframetrics thermal video scanner uh because it does give give off those heat images and everything and so playing around with that trying to find something interesting that could kind of achieve that look was a fantastic way to kind of introduce the way that this particular creature hunts and seeing everything that it sees pov through this essentially ideally an infrared sort of thing to, as it was tracking the people uh, was really cool i always remember that about this and, and just enjoyed that element of it oh for sure and and the complexity of creating those shots is really understated in the movie like it looks simple but my goodness like the the compositing the layering taking this the thermal effect and layering it back on top of the of of the original jungle plate to give more definition like all of that stuff to create something that feels like an effortless bit of tech that you might find in a hospital right now right? <laughs> or on any soldiers thing like i it it, it was uh, really really effective and uh, so much of the of the tech that they made feel real uh, both on behalf of the the alien and the guys that are you know being hunted by it it actually was an interesting surprise when you have the Predator take off its mask in that last fight with, with Schwarzenegger, and you actually get to see what its real vision looks like, and you see why it likely uses the infrared, because at least on Earth, I don't know how it is elsewhere, but it it's it's almost like another version of an infrared, where but it's just like everything is kind of a red, and it's really hard for it to see where Schwarzenegger is, it seems like it really kind of has to rely on motion is is the way that it looked. What would that what would that imply that it's because to me, it felt like, oh, we're going to take off the mask and all we see is red. That means all we see is heat, right? That the aliens might live on a colder place. Uh, I, it made me think that all of his uh, that he was seeing, like maybe the temperatures were just naturally colder on his planet. And so he would be able to define temperatures differently if the scale was reset for his eyes and that's what the helmet did is just cools everything off for his vision so he can see oh interesting probably more naturally well i think it's interesting but in predators this is the was that the third movie do they bring all those people to the the predator home planet or is it just a is it just the planet the sport planet where they drop everybody off? I thought it was the sport planet. That was okay. my I couldn't it remember. was there it's there like you know safari zone. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That happens then, to be then, a whole planet. Okay, yeah. right. I, I like your idea. I think that makes sense. Outstanding. Oh, God. Put a point, point up on the wall. Last but not least, we have the Predator itself when it actually 
is no longer hidden with its um, camouflage, whatever we're calling it, like the electronic camouflage that it uses. We actually get to see the massive, massive alien, which is great to see when it's finally next to Schwarzenegger and you realize just how big this thing is. I mean, it is massive in a film full of muscles and testosterone. This is like, you know, the apex predator. <laughs> so, so big. It's, it's not really um, a lizard sort of creature. It's more like amphibious because it doesn't have scales. It's just a very slimy you know, creature with a lot of claws. And, uh, and then of course, when it takes its mask off, you get the reveal of the mandibles, which is, um, I think one of the defining characteristics of this creature, one of the coolest things when you get to see it actually looking around and doing its little roars and everything hisses and stuff. Great creature. It's amazing. It's amazing. And also like that's, I think in terms of creature design, that you get this creature that's, that is mostly feels amphibious and then, its mouth is so insectoid, right? Like those mandibles, the way they kind of move and and spread open. Oh, God, it was so good. So good. Uh, we don't necessarily need to repeat the the one liner from Arnold, but it was it's it's perfect. It's perfect in this movie. Exactly. His line is the opposite of if, how beautiful it is because it's it's beautiful effects done by uh, Stan Winston, who came on board here to work with this and kind of develop this creature, which is just so stinking cool. Just love it. So that's really the effects. Uh, I will save our conversation about, you know, who do we think should have won as we get to the end of this series, because we've got these two, we've added two non-nominees, Robocop and the Princess Bride that our members voted on. And we've also added the Lost Boys as a member bonus episode. So a lot of interesting 1987 films to talk about effects. Um, so we'll have our conversation in the last episode about who should have won. But that leads us to our conversation about the movie itself. Where do you want to start? It's not a terribly complicated story. But I think there's, let's start with the story, because it's actually an interesting structure. It's not a movie that's designed around an alien discovery or something. This is a film that, on the surface, when it starts, feels like we are entering a political action thriller we have a, a a troop that is designed to go in and rescue people that comes down to the the amazon through the government's request they come down here because as they think they're going to be saving some troops that have been kidnapped by gorillas that are hiding out in the jungle uh, and this is where of course uh schwarzenegger ends up meeting his old buddy played by carl weathers uh, who's an operative and finds out over the course of the story as they find the guerrilla camp, as they destroy the guerrilla camp, that, you know, they were only two uh, hostages there. And as Max says, these don't look like the sorts of people that we think they were. It looked like some other bigger thing was actually going on here. So we're the story sets up something that feels like, okay, we're going into the jungles and there is one branch of the government using these people for nefarious ends because they actually have something else in mind. And so we're setting up like an interesting political thriller. And when they're finding these skinned bodies on their search for the gorillas and stuff, they're thinking that the gorillas are really disgusting people that have done all of this stuff. And it's building in a way where if we didn't know it was an alien film, if we didn't see the predator arriving at the beginning, it totally doesn't feel like it. It feels very much like, 
you know, what is going on with this kind of political thriller here. And it's only about a half an hour into the film that we start kind of getting the predator cam as he's watching and stuff. And suddenly it's like thrust into a different movie. And that's the thing I love about the structure of the story is it sets us up for one thing. And these people, like it really is that story. And those people who then just happen to get thrust into an alien survival film. And I, I think it's such a, a, a fun shift that we end up getting as this film moves along. What, I mean, does, does the story strike you as a kind of, I, I know you said it's fairly simple and straightforward, which it is, but I mean, that aside, the way it's structured, I mean, what did you think? Yeah, because it's tonally much more complicated than the narrative is, right? The narrative is, as you said, the guys go in on, they think they're doing one thing, it turns out they're doing another thing. But the tonal shifts are what's so interesting, because we get the hint that it's a science fiction movie in the very beginning. We get the, uh, it, it then becomes a Tom Clancy movie, like a, a thriller in the jungle kind of, we're going to deal with diplomacy issues right now um, in the uh, that first sort of 30, 40 minutes. And then it becomes a, a slasher movie, right? It becomes a horror movie uh, after that with some really fantastically grotesque stuff going on uh, until it becomes a brawler at the end where the guys are just fighting each other to the death. And um, I think it, that's the thing that makes this movie so interesting that it tries to capture so much, so many different cinematic schemas <laughs> and it does it really really well like i never it it somehow still feels like it is of a piece and the other thing that i think is is worth celebrating to me that this parade of massive muscles right this is a a, a bodybuilder parade still feels relatively grounded once you get over the fact that these guys are so big like they're just absurdly big and i think that's the that that might just be the tonal difference in uh like the, the reminds you that this is not a Michael Bay movie, right? Because we get the hero moment moments when they all get off the helicopter, and then they are rendered small by their foe. And that holds up. Like, that doesn't feel to me like these guys are, you know, th their setup is bigger than life, and they are proven very quickly that they are not bigger than life, right? Uh, and I think that's the thing that I think is, is most interesting about it. Yeah, I, I agree. That's why when we finally see the Predator with no camouflage and it's standing next to, next to Schwarzenegger and it's like a, te a head and a half taller than the Schwarzenegger who already we've seen when he and Carl Weathers shake hands. And it's just like, it's like they're already arm wrestling. <laughs> they're just shaking hands. It's like ridiculous. Like, you know, you need that wide angle lens to fit those biceps in the screen. It's just crazy. And then you see the alien. It's like, absolutely. You get this alien that is so much, more ahead of the game as far as the way that it hunts the what it watches for the way that it's using the trees and everything and it's that's what makes it so interesting is these people this group of soldiers these i don't it never really defines what they are if they're branch of the military but whatever they are they're they're military commandos essentially who kind of go in to do this mission and they're big, larger than life. We see them take on this group of gorillas, which they're outnumbered. And then we see exactly just what this predator can do to them and how much more effective it is. And that's what makes it so interesting. And I love, like, one thing that stands out is, like, why 
this film works so well is we see the lengths they've gone when they realize it's the trees. They put they put tripwires and booby traps all over the place, and then they're waiting, and you have Dutch kind of very slowly step out into this cleared out area to look into the trees and watch for the alien to arrive. And he's very careful to step over all the little tripwires and he's and being super careful. And he walks out there and then suddenly the net that's behind him shoots up into the air because the alien had snuck up so completely quietly. Nobody recognized it. Nobody knew it was there until it was already in the net. And it's like, you know, and then of course it escapes and everything, but still like, that's what makes it so exciting. Like this thing is so much more advanced than they are. And it just makes it always exciting because it's, it's like, you know, compared, like they talk about how in the military, you've got the, the two sides, like who's got the better guns and all that sort of stuff. And we have seen what these people do. I mean, Jesse, the body Ventura at the time, when he's using old painless, it's like, that is ridiculous. That minigun is like, how can anything escape that thing? But here, here it is. And that's what, that's why it works so well. Yeah. I think that's the thing that makes this movie such a testosterone hit is that these guys, you know, they're giant and they are so overpowered for what they <laughs> what they say they're doing right we just go in to rescue people like we just go in to do we don't like he has his whole thing like we don't general we don't do assassination missions like that's his jam uh schwarzenegger it's they're they're the a-team they go in to plant tripwires and play tricks and shenanigans but they don't assassinate political activists and then they end up going in with the kinds of weapons that are weapons specifically of war. <laughs> just, you know, just what they do to that poor jungle is also an ecological <laughs> disaster, right? It's it's not an environmentally friendly film. They no, they no, pretty much not. take out the entire forest. Here. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> right, right. Kevin Peter Hall plays uh, the predator in the first two movies, and he is also uh, Harry and Harry and the Hendersons. He is the monster and the monster in the closet. He was the mutant baron prophecy. <laughs> yes, he's in prophecy for sure. Um, so he very sadly died shortly, just within a couple of years after this movie and, and Predator 2 uh, from AIDS-related pneumonia. Uh, he he said that he had uh, contracted AIDS uh, from a blood surgery uh, or blood transfusion and surgery after a car accident and, and passed away very young, 35. So really sad. And you have to wonder, like, what that set environment was like having being this 35 year old or 32 year old on a set with these kinds of men <laughs> and all of their guns. Like, what fun would that have been like making this movie? And he's huge. I mean, he's seven foot two. Yeah. So, you know, he he is scrawny, probably compared to these people. But when you look at exactly how tall he is, you're like, okay, he may not have the muscles of Schwarzenegger or, or, I mean, even, you know, one of these people's arms, he probably doesn't have as many muscles. But at the same time, he likely uh, was the tallest person on set, just towering over everybody. For sure. So really interesting. Yeah. Although he didn't get to do the voice of the Predator. Peter Cullen did the the voice and the different vocalizations and everything i and he of course you know is most famous to uh in in some circles my circles for sure as optimus prime 
Uh, I just love the voice of Peter Collins. Great voice. The one thing I don't ever like with the Predator is its laugh at the end sounds so human. Uh, it's, you know, a minor complaint that I have, but uh, largely I really do enjoy when you're just getting the the quieter whispers of the alien as opposed to its human laugh at the end. But but wait a minute. That's his whole thing is copying the like he that's one of his special abilities is copying the the voice of others. Except the laugh isn't a copy. He's not that wasn't anybody's laugh. Sure it Whose is. laugh was that? It was Billy. That was Billy's laugh at the end, are you sure? That was Billy's laugh. That was Billy's laugh. Have I never noticed that? Wow, okay. I think you need to I we need to relitigate this after you've watched it again. Because... I'm going to have to because I've always maybe I just incorrectly mistaken it as its own laugh at that moment and so okay. It sort of fades in and out and by the time he starts running away it is going bonkers like it's it's all sort of distorted but the i just i've always seen it as like look at what you've done you did all this and you even got me but you know i'm going to sort of replay the laugh of your favorite dude and we're gonna just see what happens bye okay i okay thanks bye considering it plays back so many other people i can totally see that it's just i i didn't i, I yeah i haven't put two and two together with that so i'm glad that uh, you clarified that for me. So thank you. Does this earn another star? Did I just get another star for it? Because <laughs> I don't know was if it, this it, it, it can't get any more stars. I already love this movie. It's crazy. <laughs> okay. Noted. Yeah, let's let's go through the team, though. Um, Schwarzenegger, we've talked about a little bit already. He's Dutch here. And um, what we've talked about Conan the Barbarian. I Is that all we've... Uh, and Terminator 2 on a Movies We Like episode. Yep, yep. That may be it, though, huh? It, it may be it. Do, what is your... I mean, we know a lot of the Terminator. Oh, did we We did Jingle All the Way. Oh, and Jingle All the Way as a, one of our holiday bonuses, yeah, yes. that's one. Um, what is your favorite, like, just to watch? Not that you think is the best, but what is your favorite Schwarzenegger movie? I mean, it would be one of either Terminator or Terminator 2. Those are pretty unequal footing for me. Yeah, but those are also great films. Give me your guilty pleasure pick. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, they don't have to be. Like, are you saying of the movies of his that suck, which do I like the most? Is that what <laughs> well, you're saying? Your words, not mine. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> I. I mean, does the Running Man fit into that then? Because uh, it certainly is dated. It sure is dated. Possibly. I am thinking more about, and you know, I'm not, I'm notoriously not a, uh, a watcher of like the Expendables movies. I don't know if they're any good. Um, but for me, the ones that, that I go back to are movies like The Sixth Day and Eraser. And I, I think those are of lower esteem. And yet Eraser, I find really, really funny. And <laughs> get a kick out of the the tech i think of of course one of the greatest hits one of the greatest non terminator related hits of arnold schwarzenegger's total recall is the, the original oh total well recall. but but again yeah. i like i don't think that fits that's a good something that you yeah. have to call a guilty pleasure like total yes. recall i think still is you know a good movie like that's a solid yes. film where do you stand on things like red heat i've never seen it <sighs> you know okay well all right. I, I will be watching it. I, I'm doing my Walter Hill uh, chronological watch right now, so I will be finally checking Red Heat off the list. But I mean, I've also never seen Commando. 
you know, I've, I've, I've never seen raw deal. Like there's a lot of early Schwarzenegger I've never seen. I think looking at early Schwarzenegger, it would constitute Conan, the barbarian Conan, the destroyer, the terminator predator, running man, twins, total recall, kindergarten cop, T2 last action hero things like that so and i saw eraser once never went back to that one same thing with end of days six day um i can't even remember if i saw collateral damage or not i think that kind of hit a point where i just was losing interest so i think the deal is i probably lost interest after you did that that could be (laughs) (laughs) so i probably saw a few more of these uh, than you did, um, you know, and and uh, on the very very top of the list are things like True Lies for me, and 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 um, you know, not Batman and Robin. That was although you but, watched that one more than most people. Just, why do you gotta out me like that, man? <laughs> I saw it a lot too, but that was because I was a projectionist at the time, and so ended up seeing a lot of right. bits of that. Uh, over this and was over. your uh, honey. I blew up the kids for me. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I like Arnold Schwarzenegger quite, a, quite a bit in this movie and I, I think he's fun and, uh, he is extraordinarily large. You know, what I also enjoy about him here is one, he's scruffy and you don't often see that in his films where he's kind of got a scruffier look here. And two, by the time we get to the end, when he actually finally gets to the choppa, he is just exhausted and wiped out. Like it is not, I mean, sure. He essentially won. But he is a broken man by the time we see him on the helicopter there and they're flying away. And that's something I really love about this ending. Like, this was hard. This he barely got out of and he is, like, broken and and beaten and he looks like crap. And that's something I really, um, I think, is an important element of this film. Like, for somebody who's as, uh, as much a success as he is in his little kind of covert commando operations that he does here this was something that he could barely get out of and he barely did escape. And I, I really enjoy that with the ending of the film. Yeah. Right. Like they make it hard. <laughs> they make yeah, the whole thing it, is, really is, is hard. Yeah. And yeah. especially right in that middle bit of the film, everybody dies seemingly at once. Like the, the predators just clipping them off one at a time. And I, I really like that too. Can, can we talk, can we move on to Carl Weathers? Oh, Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers, Dylan. Uh. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I like Carl Weathers. I'm a fan of Carl Weathers. And it's just, it, maybe it's that they they took Carl Weathers and they were trying to build this case that he, for his character, that he is a former soldier who has been promoted into the land of the weasels, the administrators, right? Like he's turned in his his gun for a, a pen and a spreadsheet. I, I, that, I guess, is, I don't know who. <laughs> That's a weird (laughs) image. Just administrators of the military just carry around pens and spreadsheets, like giant paper spreadsheets. And I don't know how well that case is made in in the movie. I I, they they try, but his casting of it, like maybe, is it possible Carl Weathers is too big to play the the line between that character? Carl Weathers is also massive in this movie, just physically. He's bulked out. I have no issue with that. I think that it plays well as somebody who served in Vietnam with with uh, Dutch. That whole standing arm wrestle moment that they have when they greet each other, I think, plays. I think that actually kind of carries this sense of he's a big guy, but he's also getting a little soft. Like, he can't 
do the uh, standing arm wrestle like he used to with Schwarzenegger. And I think that it works. And, you know, we've talked about him a lot through the Rocky franchise. And so, I don't know. I just, I feel like I buy that he's, like, it would have been weirder for me if it was somebody the size of Shane Black here. Like, I think it ends up playing as somebody who who works in this cut, in, in this in this case. Okay. All right. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. You give me the laugh at the end. I'll give you Carl Weathers. It just is the thing that's, <laughs> that that sits a little bit sideways to me. Like he should, maybe he should have looked a little bit more like an administrator. But I'm okay with that. You're right. If it had been it's in a tie, Shane, he's in a tie. <laughs> I just imagine he shows up it, like he has his sleeves rolled up impossibly high. Like there is no way those are actual sleeves. Those are sleeves that have been. Those are stunt sleeves because his sleeves, <laughs> his long sleeve shirt sleeves, are rolled up. Almost over his shoulder, those sleeves. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. They should be a casual two cuff roll up over his over his arm. Clearly, they were stunt sleeves. If I had biceps like his, I would roll mine up over my biceps as well. If I had biceps like his, Andy, I would rip the sleeves off my shirt. <laughs> you would hook out in of public. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. All right. So. Carl Weathers is great. We like Carl Weathers. Yeah. Bill Duke plays Mac. He's my favorite thing in this whole movie. Is he? Okay. Yeah. Mac, I like Bill Duke uh, so much. He kind of goes a little mad. <laughs> he kind of loses it a bit after his best friend, Blaine, uh, Jesse Ventura, gets killed. Mac kind of loses it. Uh, he's got his little uh, speech he gives at the moon. You know, uh, shares a, a drink from his flask with the dead Blaine and leaves the flask with him and then goes on a killing spree when the alien shows itself. Um, so, Max, your favorite. What do you love about Bill Duke here? I love Bill Duke so much. I think he looks great. His performance is so stoic. And the way he like the way they set him up and put him in places in scene to be completely haunting and haunted in the jungle like he is i just i find him totally magnetic every time he's doing something and he also has like i mean you know he's doing the the whole grieving bit because of his friend like he's the one who has an emotional arc in this movie. Nobody else really has much of an emotional thing going on besides fear. He actually gets grief. And I think that makes his character the most, um, the most interesting thing in the movie. Yeah. Maybe not the most fun, certainly not the most funny, but the most interesting. He is a very interesting character. I absolutely agree. I enjoy that about him that um, there's something more like he's got this connection here and he's drawn into this pursuit of this uh, of this creature because of what it's done and the way that it kind of breaks him, the fact that you can't see this thing and the way that he starts being able to see it. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm always hoping at that final scene when he sees the alien in the tree and he points it out to, to Dylan that he's actually going to be able to get closer. And the fact that, you know, he's crawling along the ground and ends up, uh, you know, getting getting shot. Always, it kind of disappoints me. I'm always hoping he'll get a little farther, but never does. He's great in it. And, you know, Bill Duke I mean, turned into quite a, a, a solid director, too. If you look at stuff that he did, like Deep Cover, which is a, a really, really great film from the early 90s. And then just, you know, busy actor. And he's one of those people, I always forget how old he is. I mean, he's 80 now, but um, yeah, solid, yeah, he was... solid performance here. You know, with the exception of 
uh, General Phillips, uh, R.J. R- 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 Armstrong at 70 when he made this movie. Bill Duke, I think, was the oldest in the cast. I, I should say, besides Peter Cullen, who, you know, did the voice, he was 45 when he did the voice of the Predator. But Bill Duke was 44. Um, I'm lying again. Sonny Landon was 46 when he made this movie. Fascinating. You just got to stop lying, Pete. I just, I'm lying about ages of everyone. I am 27 <laughs> years old, by the way. That's right. We have Poncho. You know, he lasts almost as long as Dutch does. And it's really only because he gets injured by one of their booby traps that he kind of gets up getting dragged along through that last, <laughs> the last part of the film. Uh, Poncho was fun, though. He was a, a fun character here in the film. I think that he brings some good energy to it. I, I don't know. Richard Chavez plays Poncho. Uh, he's one of those people who pops up in things, but not enough for me to really remember him in anything. In fact, looking at his list, I, I, he was a detective in Witness. Uh, other than that, I don't think I've seen much of his stuff. Maybe some TV episodes where he was like a guest. Yeah, that's pretty much how his, his career ended up. And it looks like the last thing he did was in the you know late 90s and... And uh, he has not been working as I think he's still alive, as far as I know. He's oh, yeah. 72. I, I think he's just retired. Um, yeah. Yeah. When do you want to talk about the body? Well, he's next. Jesse, the body Ventura. This was definitely in his era of uh, seeing him on the WWF before it became the WWE. And, uh, you know, he was always kind of fun to see in this era. And I'm trying to think, when did he stop doing his wrestling? It was after this, right? Um, Retire- no, right before question. this. He retired in 86 uh, from his professional wrestling, wrestling career. Did his acting for a bit and then, of course, went into politics in 99. Yes. 38th governor of Minnesota. So we have two governors in this movie. Yes, yes. Uh, he, of course, has one line in here that, uh, you know, always is a little more cringe-heavy in modern times, uh, you know, when they're on the helicopter. But other than that, I just love uh, Jesse Ventura here. He's, he's so much fun. And it's just that gun is ridiculous. And that's one of the reasons I, I just love his character so much. It's funny. He is killed rather early in the movie. And it it I, I wonder if he was, if it was just like too much... If he was too much, is it possible he was too much? And we needed uh, less Starface in this movie because the, these other guys, besides Schwarzenegger uh, and to, to some extent Carl Weathers, the other guys were actors and not they, they didn't have the fame, I think, coming into the movie that the that Jesse Ventura did. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons they killed him early. Well, I, I think that's an interesting thing because... And this is, I'm sure, the battle that you always have as a director, as a casting agent, as the team putting together a film where people are slowly getting picked off one at a time in any sort of horror movie. It's like, do we save the faces for later? Do we kill off a face because people are expecting the face to last longer? And that is kind of what it felt like here. Like, Jesse Ventura is the second one to get killed after Shane Black, who wasn't a face. And we kind of are would like to see Ventura last a little longer, but then he gets killed and that kind of pushes Mac into his crazy headspace. And everybody's now kind of trying to figure out what this puzzle piece is and and what to do. And that I think ended up being kind of an interesting element of this film that, you know, this is a person with an insane gun. He's a recognizable face 
and he can't even last. And that's, I think, just one of those things that kind of steps up the kind of the tension within the film. How did he die in The Running Man? He was Captain Freedom in The Running Man the same year. And he's fighting. Um, he's Captain Freedom, and he had won in a previous match, and he's the one who has to go against Dutch toward the end. So they have to go mano a mano toward the end of the film, if memory serves. So he doesn't die in the in Running Man? Uh, I think he does. I think Schwarzenegger has to kill him, right? Oh, okay. Well, I don't I don't actually recall. Uh, but it it just was interesting to me that I think he has a similar kind of of like a smaller role. But if he is, but if he makes it to the end, that might throw my whole thesis to the wind. Yeah, he had been a he had retired. Is the whole story is like he had been a, a stalker. He had retired, and because Ben Richards is doing so well, they have to bring him out of retirement. And people are so excited to have Captain Freedom come back. And this is the right. one where they doctor the footage to yes to show Captain Freedom kill Ben Richards. So he doesn't die. He gets all pissed off, right? And he stops out. He didn't even get to go in there, I guess. is uh, I'm trying to remember now. Did he go in? I don't think he does go in there. Interesting. All right. Well, clearly we need to do The Running Man. Or do, Yeah, I, I can't remember. I feel like he kills Captain Freedom, but they have to... They they doctor the footage to make it show like he... Like Captain Freedom is the one who actually won. I can't exactly remember. Something like that. Anyway, that's that final act in that film before ben richards makes it out and takes on killian yeah okay well it's an interesting thing especially that they come back to back to back uh you know these two movies he's got a fascinating part in this movie he's got that nonsense gun and uh you know big mouth and he has a good death uh his chest blows up that's cool It was a good death, but he didn't get to do much fighting. And that was always, you know, one of those things that, I mean, the the predator, you know, shoots him and that's kind of it. We don't really get much more from him. And, you know, I think we get a little more with some of the other characters, but he is one where I guess it just goes to show just how much more advanced the aliens technology is, you know, and um, yeah, it's a bummer. Um, we have Billy, Billy, uh, Sonny Landon plays Billy. He is a, an indigenous American. Uh, he's a tracker. He's a scout. Felt a little tropey to have the Native American character be the one who, who was the scout. And, you know, he does his little last stand at the end, stripping himself of all of his uh, weapons and just going bare skin, slicing his own chest. It all felt a little tropey with what they were doing. But I still really enjoy the character of Billy. You know, he started as a porn actor. Do you know that? I didn't know that. He did. He was a porn actor, and then he made his transition to Hollywood to do The Warriors and um, Predator, obviously, 48 Hours, Lock Up, Action Jackson. He's been in a lot of stuff, but I, I totally agree with you. It's an interesting uh, thing. He did not make it, uh, but he did run for governor of Kentucky. So he we almost had a, a triumvirate here. Triumvirate of political muscle bound political spectacle in predator so that's uh, he uh sadly passed away in 2017 but um i do enjoy him here again it is just one of those things i kind of wish uh it didn't feel a little tropey with the way that they they play him here but but still, I mean, when he does laugh, when he finally cracks a a, a smile and laughs at uh, at Hawkins 
terrible jokes. Um, you know, it's fun and it's, it's crazy because I enjoy his laugh there. It's just crazy that I've never caught on that. That's the, that is his laugh at the end. Yeah. And I guess that does bring us last but not least to Hawkins. Speaking Shane of Hawkins, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Little Shane Black. Here's our man. He was 20, 25 years old when he made this movie. Crazy. Just crazy. Uh, and let's see. I guess had he, he'd already um, sold his script to Joel Silver. And I guess that's why Joel Silver then um, brought him on to play in this film, right? Yes. Yeah. That is my understanding. So funny. So, I mean, you know, it's, he's, so just talking about him as an actor, he's funny. He's funny in this movie. Yeah, I think so. I didn't, I, I found him, I thought he was great comic relief. I like the, the whole concept that he's like, his entire vibe is just trying out bits <laughs> on people that aren't, aren't generally very good and uh, are, uh, uh, you know, off color enough. And I think that makes the, makes it funny when Billy finally laughs because nobody else laughs. And, well, and so it's, uh, it's only with Billy. He only does it twice and it's both times with billy oh the first one's with billy too so i just like the i the whole conceit that that's his thing is is trying out bits now it's even better because it's trying out bits on billy um, <laughs> trying to get billy to laugh essentially. trying to get billy to laugh um so i i like his whole thing he doesn't have a whole lot to do in the movie um you know as, as part <laughs> of because he on, gets killed first he he does uh he does lose it first he's dragged off and dismembered um so, but, but it was interesting because like he, I mean, he proves himself one of the team, you know, he's the radio operator. He deals with all that sort of stuff, but he, he also certainly seems, uh, you know, capable in a firefight. But then what's interesting when Anna runs off and he finally, he runs after her and catches her, like the way that he reacts, it's not like, you know, you idiot, like, and, and slapping her and stuff like that. He's like, please come on, don't do this. Like yeah. I was, I was genuinely, genuinely surprised the way that he reacts to that moment with her, where it's like, you know, kind of like, you know, a, a friendly pleading to not do this because it just makes it that much more complicated. And and perhaps he thinks somebody else on the team might do something, be a little more aggressive. But I just, I was like, that's, that's actually kind of an interesting character moment that we have for him. And it's a very small moment, but it's, it was an interesting one. Yeah, it's it seems uh, generous to give a moment to even have a moment like that in a movie like this. Yeah, exactly. So it's good. And then that leads us to Anna. Uh, this is Elpidia Carrillo, who plays the the one female gorilla who is caught by them. They don't kill her. They kill everybody else. They take her perhaps to get information. And of course, she is the one who witnesses Hawkins getting killed and she says the jungle came to life and all of this sort of stuff and and she is the one who also survives and gets to the choppa just as Dutch said and makes it out of here alive. Um, what do you think of Elpidia Carrillo as Anna? Well, you know, I mean, she's great. I thought she was wonderful, but she's also, you know, plot device, book of the vampire. Like she's the one who is who outs the this is what we think is going on. These are the this is the history. This is what the people believe. Like she's she's kind of the the book of lore. And I think that makes you know, it it makes it fine, but it's not much of a meaty part. Not that it needs to be a meaty part. It's just not a meaty part. It's yeah, it's pretty minor. But 
it's fine. It works for the film. It never has to turn into a love interest. And I was like nope. very grateful for that because Such a it relief. very, very much could have been that sort of thing. Uh, it just, it plays as she's somebody who has information, talks about its blood, all that sort of stuff. Like she, she is the one who kind of seems to catch on a little bit and gives them tips. And I, I liked that they at least gave her a little bit of agency in that regard. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, she'd been working since the 70s, and she's done a lot of stuff. She's been in a lot of stuff. Um, stuff that, you know, I feel like uh, I have probably seen her in. I know I've seen her in and don't necessarily recall. I just, you know, was not looking for her or whatever. A lot of TV, um, you know, special guest on a lot of TV. So, you know, and obviously she was in, in some part in uh, Predator 2, which I haven't watched in a long, just a long time. small cameo role, yeah. Yeah, a little cameo. And she was in um, Salvador, which we talked about in our Oliver Stone in the 80s yep. series. Right. Right, so, right. Yeah. Somebody who, you know, is Mexican by birth, but as is so often the case, you know, Hollywood loves casting people of particular ethnicities to just cover any ethnicity that kind of where it fits the mold. And, and so she's taken a lot of roles like that. But um, but I enjoy her here enough. I enjoy her. I just wish that she was given just a skosh more to do, you know? Yeah, me too. The script was born because Jim and John Thomas uh, heard uh, people talking about in Hollywood after Rocky IV came out that the next thing Rocky Balboa can fight since he's beat all the earthly opponents, he's going to have to fight an alien if they make alien or if they make Rocky V. <laughs> and they thought... Hey, that's a great uh, idea for a movie. So they took that idea and ran with it. They wrote a script called Hunter, which um, it generally focused more on a band of alien hunters initially trying to find different species to fight and and target. Uh, they eventually narrowed it down to just one alien hunting the most dangerous species, humans. And then of the humans, the most dangerous man, of course, combat soldier. And because... In the early 80s, there was so much going on in Central America, they figured that would be a great place to have some special force troops that they could fight. They could not get anybody to look at it, so they actually slipped the script under the door of 20th Century Fox producer Michael uh, Levy, who, who liked it, brought it to Joel Silver, and uh, who had done Commando with Schwarzenegger and brought Schwarzenegger on. I guess at the time, the script still only had one man fighting the alien. And so Schwarzenegger's idea was, you know, it would be nice if it was a team. And so that helped and, and that got him on board. And that's that's really kind of how we got this whole thing. And I, I think it's really fun. They did, in the process of developing this, originally cast Jean-Claude Van Damme to play the Predator. But he was so short to the rest of these uh, people that it just didn't make sense. He was big. He could do all the great moves and everything, but not big enough. So they needed somebody bigger. That would have been a very different movie. Yeah, I mean... I wonder, actually, now that I say that, how many different movies, like, I, uh, uh, how, how much of a different movie that would have been. Well, the alien would have been doing splits a lot up at the trees. Is that wrong? Is that so wrong? <laughs> is that wrong now? It wasn't wrong before, and now is it wrong? <laughs> oh, man. Um, More splits, so, please. Yeah, right, exactly. I, so I, I think, you know, it's, it's always fun to kind of look at how these things uh, get made. And then, of course, John McTiernan um, is brought on to direct it. This is, uh, you know, early in his career, but you kind of forget 
he had not done much before this. There was a film in 1979 that he did called Watcher, which I'm not very familiar with. And then he did Nomads in 86, the year before this. Um, did you see that one? That had Pierce Brosnan, Leslie Ann Down, and he wrote it also. No, I, not not. Uh, maybe I saw it, but I do not recall. It involves a French anthropologist who's an expert on nomads. He stumbles across a group of urban nomads who turn out to be more than expected. That's one that I've never seen. I'm kind of curious about it um, just to see if it's any good. But it's interesting. Like he had done so few things and then along comes Predator. This is the film that kind of really pushed him into the upper echelon of action directing at the time. Because then he'd go on to do Die Hard and The Hunt for October. And then, of course, Medicine Man, which wasn't as good as it should have been. Last Action Hero, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Thomas Crown Affair, 13th Warrior, Rollerball, and Basic. And that's it. Short filmography. Yeah, for sure. Like, do you feel like this fits into kind of the McTiernan vibe? We've talked about Die Hard, the two Die Hards and Thomas Crown Affair on the show. I mean, how does this fit in with what you expect from McTiernan? But just about exactly. You know what I mean? Like it, this, this definitely feels, I, I mean, it's the, the, the challenge is the jungle, <laughs> right? That that's the thing that feels out, out of sorts with, for McTiernan because he spends time like in cities, right? The stuff that he does is not, is not typically jungle bound. And so, uh, but I think the stories, the action, the, the way the, the camera moves, I mean, it feels very diehard to me, frankly, like maybe it's because they were made close to each other. Like it feels very sort of tonally similar, the way he uses space, the way he uses, you know, in, in diehard and red October, the way he uses small space, the way he puts the camera in certain places and plays with, with focus to to uh, draw attention so effectively like i just feel like his like i get a sense of his eye like i'm watching the action through his eye i think it really generally really works right up until rollerball <laughs> i you know this definitely was a an a, you know an example of a producer hiring a new director to direct his first studio film and one where Joe, Joel Silver saw that, you know, he's capable that first film nomads might not have been uh, received well, but it had enough directing acumen there for him to say, well, we could hire this guy and then kind of control him. And I think that's always been the case. We certainly have really seen that grow to ridiculous lengths with the way that um, Feige is running Marvel these days. But I think it was still happening at the time, you know, find a, a new up and coming director who looks like they could handle it. We don't have to pay as much for the budget. This wasn't a huge budget action film. And they liked what he did. They they were happy with the the dailies that were coming back. And so they they kept him on board. It's It's just amazing. And it's just interesting because for a first studio film, like you look at some of the the Marvel films and it doesn't necessarily feel like it has as much of the director's voice as this one seems to with the what McTiernan would be drawn to with his action films. Yeah, that's a, it's really interesting because it's the same model, right? Hire a young 
untested director and give them a give them whatever they need to make this this movie uh in some cases you know obviously have big talent like like schwarzenegger who's in there saying you know we i like mctiernan obviously he's they are fans and friends of one another and and so you know movie gets made but it's it is the the fact that it feels so much more like a mctiernan movie than you know, big directors, Marvel movies feel like Marvel movies, right? They they don't necessarily always feel like, you know, the director's hand is on them. And this feels like a, uh, a McTiernan movie to me. Yeah, I think the action, but also not just the action in and of itself, but we're in the jungles and it feels like he knows that it's important to direct this ostensibly science fiction film a little bit like a horror film. like you know, dark spaces you can't necessarily see around the corners because there's so much growth everywhere. The alien is hidden anyway. Like, I feel like he knows how to direct the action in a way that just makes this forest constantly feel unsafe. And I I think that lends a lot to this, especially when you have a cast of, you know, half a dozen really, really large men. You know, you feel like they are the last girls essentially like they yeah, just you feel like they can't uh compete and that's I, I think a challenge to do and i think he pulls off yeah i think so too that's a great that's a great way to put it that that he's made he has diminished these these giant giant men in such a way that we feel scared for them yeah solid movie really enjoy this one i'm glad that we've Me added too. to the list i'm somewhat curious to add the other predator films to our list at some point i think it'd be fun to kind of go through the list maybe not the alien versus predator films but certainly the predator films would be fun to look at um we'll see we'll see i uh that's exactly what i did this i haven't watched them yet but when i when we put this on the list i picked up the collection of the predator movies um and so i'm really i've got the set and so I need to just power through them because uh, I I don't remember the other ones as well as as I remember this one. This one felt like coming home. The other ones are still a little bit foreign. I don't remember liking Predators that much. I really was disappointed with what Shane Black did in The Predator. We talked about that on a film board episode. I just was not happy with that one at all. Predator 2 is the one I remember very little of. So that is the one that I think of all of them, I'd like to revisit sooner than later, just to like the, the two things that I remember from that is obviously you've got the alien skull in the ship at the end that Danny Glover sees. And the other one is like, I can't remember who the bad guys are or the, the, the not really bad, bad guys, but the, the criminals that he's up against. It's like crime lords or something and i just remember that they're all sitting in their car smoking and they open the doors and it's just like huge <laughs> wafts of smoke coming out it's kind of a joke that's like what you smoke. remember from that's what i remember the movie. like the i i know <laughs> strange little detail yeah that's funny anyway yeah all and right. then of course prey which uh absolutely would probably be my extraordinary uh, top favorite next to this one sitting side by side yeah for sure Well, I guess that's it. So uh, we'll be right back. But first, our credits. The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Wolf Samuels, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. 
Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well. All right. So I feel like we just teased right into our sequels and remakes. That's all of them. Right, right. All the Predator uh, sequels, there are a number, and including, although I didn't see anything about it, but I've heard them talking about a, I don't know, I guess we're calling it a prequel sequel, a follow-up to Prey, um, which would be interesting to see them do. Um, it was, the, I don't know, I think that they liked the idea of doing something similar that wasn't necessarily dealing with that same era, but was like, decades later so i don't know i'm curious i'm curious what they do oh you can totally see that right what that just unlocked the story of 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 predators influence on civilizations over time i think that is fantastic what a great idea they probably won't be able to make something that lives up to what's in my head but man that dan trachtenberg nailed prey just nailed it well, that was something that I had forgotten from this film is that whole story that Anna talks about how there is this history of, you know, people being taken. Like she actually goes through this this idea that this is something that has, has been happening for centuries now with, with my people here. And what did she call it? I can't remember. She had a name for it or something, but uh, the demon who makes trophies of man. Yeah. And I was like, huh, okay, this is really you know, that surprising. Part of the movie where suddenly she knows how to speak English. You might recall. Yes. <laughs> I, I do remember vividly. That's yeah. a, that's a really great point because, and I, and I had that same thought that, oh, the, everything that comes after this, all the other Predator movies, as dumb as they are, are all built on essentially that line. Yeah, exactly. And the ones before, which I think that's an interesting element with this. And then, of course, uh, it even ties into the Aliens versus Predator comics and then the movies and how these 
are by nature a hunting race, and they are going out to just take on the biggest, baddest, meanest of whatever the species happen to be. And, you know, that, of course, spawned that whole series of comics. And then, of course, the movies, plenty of video games. It is just, it is a a franchise that has uh, found legs in many places because, uh, because it's effective. We are here for awards. Indeed. How did it do otherwise in the awards season? Again, it, like Interspace last week, these are films that I think are designed to be audience pleasers. And if they happen to get award nominations, then all the more uh, you know thrill for the people involved. This one had three wins with six other nominations. Uh, we are here for the Academy Awards. As we've said, it did get nominated for Best Visual Effects, but lost to Interspace. Over at the Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Science Fiction Film, but lost to RoboCop. Best Actor, Schwarzenegger, was nominated, but lost to Jack Nicholson in The Witches of Eastwick. That's another one that could fit on our list of special effects films. Alan Silvestri won Best Music, and it lost Best Special Effects to RoboCop. At the BMI Awards, it was nominated for the BMI Film Music Awards. Silvestri won that. At the Hugo Awards, we just talked about that in our last series, Best Dramatic Presentation, but lost to The Princess Bride. The NAACP Image Awards, Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture, Bill Duke, but lost to Mario Van Peebles in Heartbreak Ridge. And last but not least, it was nominated at the Motion Picture Sound Editor's Golden Reel Awards for Best Sound Editing Sound Effects, and it won. All right. So you said it. It was designed to be an audience pleaser. Was the audience entertained, Andy? Did they throw (laughs) their dollars at this movie? (laughs) McTiernan had a budget of only $15 million for this film, plus $3 million for prints and advertising, for a total budget of $48 million in today's dollars. The film opened June 12, 1987, opposite The Witches of Eastwick, The Believers, and Million Dollar Mystery. This landed in the number one spot and stayed in the top 20 for seven weeks. The movie went on to earn $59.7 million domestically and $38.5 million internationally for a total gross of $262.4 million in today's dollars, which lands the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of $2 million, setting the franchise up for success. Ugh. I guess I'm, I, you know, you like it when the little guy wins sometimes. Am I right? <laughs> it's so funny, though, because looking at this film now, you don't think of it as the little guy, but you realize uh, in the scope of things that, yeah, this this really was kind of the little guy. I mean, you know, Joe Dante had $27 million to make inner space. We talked about that last week. And here is this film, 15 million. Yeah. It is the little guy. Amazing. It is the little guy. All right. Well, I'm thrilled that we got it on the list, that we have an excuse in this award season spectacle to talk about this one uh, as a, as a mashup of all the great films on this, in this particular series. Awesome. Solid one. Absolutely solid. Well, we'll be right back for our ratings, but first, here's the trailer for next week's movie. The first of our member-selected non-nominees that perhaps should have been Rob Reiner's The Princess Bride. Grandfather's here. Can't you tell me I'm sick? I'll pinch my cheek. I hate that. Maybe he won't. Hey, how was the sickie? Huh? I brought you a special present. What is it? It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. It was a time when life didn't seem so complicated. Marriage is what brings us together. 
until dad. What? 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 I'm killing myself once we reach the honeymoon suite. Wouldn't that be nice? A courtly age of gentle conversation. I won't always come for you. But how can you be sure? This is true love. Oh, no. Is this a kissing book? No. Actually, there was a lot of treachery. Peril. <clears throat> and revenge. Prepare to die. Never go in against the Sicilian when death is on the line! <laughs> There were affairs of state. But I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilda to frame for it. I'm swamped. And affairs of the heart. My Wesley will always come for me. Your Wesley is dead. I've seen worse. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. It's more than dirty. What's the difference? We've got him. Think it away? It would take a miracle. Goodbye! It's a story of love. A tale of adventure. It's as real as the feelings you feel. You're kissing again. Someday you may not mind so much. The Princess Bride. Not just your basic, average, everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, ho-hum fairy tale. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. Uh, Season 13 is a fun one, looking at various awards categories over the decades, from Best Picture nominees to cinematography. Adapted screenplays to visual effects. And a good number of movies we're discussing started out as books or plays that you can read now on Audible. 1940 Academy Awards Best Picture nominees of Mice and Men and Wuthering Heights. What a great way to start this season. In other series, we also covered The Killers, based on Hemingway's short story. A Place in the Sun, Strangers on a Train, A Streetcar Named Desire. Beckett, A Boy and His Dog, The Princess Bride, Congo. The Scarlet Letter, Jackie Brown, The Woman in Black. So many great movies from so many great sources, and they're all on Audible. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they're so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things in wherever they see fit. We listened to you when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it, too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. Letterboxed, Andy. 
Oh, man, you better give it five stars or else the alien will come back and skewer you <laughs> on his hand is, knives. Is that like the Santa Claus, like, you know, uh, the, you know, be good or Santa Claus is yeah. always watching? Right. <laughs> the alien's coming for you if you don't give him five stars. <laughs> yeah, this is an easy five star and a heart. Um, I have seen this movie so many times, especially in those late 80s. Just love it to pieces. So five stars and a big old heart for me. Throbbing Me in my too. hand, ripped out with the uh, with the <laughs> spine and skull. Yes, standing. There's Andy <laughs> standing high in a tree branch, waving a skull and spine in the air like a in, flag. In, in one hand, a beating heart in the other. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it five stars too. You know what? I'm why I'm I'm really ashamed because when I went into my letterbox. This is one of the movies that I just when I when I was just logging that I'd watched movies, the default was, oh, you know, I saw this movie. Uh, so I'm going to give it three stars as a start. I didn't even really think about it, about how much I really like this movie. So I went in and I had to erase that, Andy. I had to erase it in shame and embarrassment because it's not true. This is a five star movie. And I'm sorry to anyone who stumbled on my initial ranking and, and was offended. <laughs> I like to take this moment to apologize. And they've subsequently judged you all these years. I've been judged all these years. Yes, That's it's right. a five-star movie. Well, there you go. It's a solid right. one. So that will land five stars and a heart over on our, our account for the show at The Next Reel. And of course, you can find me at Soda Creek Film. And you can find Pete at Pete Wright. So follow us over there and uh, let us know what you think. Or let us know over in our Discord community. That's right. What did you think about Predator? We would love to hear your thoughts. Just hop into the Show Talk channel over there in our Discord community, where we'll be talking about the movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterbox giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. Uh, okay, so I have the low one, so I'm going to go first, and we're going to climb up to yours. <laughs> okay. All right. Four stars. That's as low as I was willing to go. <laughs> I didn't want to even <laughs> see what was below four stars. Uh, and this comes from Matt Singer, who says, me, taking my family to the mall the day after Christmas. We move. Five meters spread. No sound. Me, when, when the trip to the in-laws is going badly. So you cooked up a story and dropped the six of us in a meat grinder. Me, to my daughter when she says she's too sick for school, then spends the whole day bouncing in bed and screaming, You set us up. It was BS. All of it. Predator forever. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly my experience. A hundred percent. So, so good. Just love it. Well, I've got a five-star... From Dirk H. There is the shot. There is this shot in the beginning of this film where Arnold shakes hands with Carl Weathers. The amount of biceps that fill the screen symbolizes everything about this film. This is from start to finish a professionally made and perfectly executed testosterone filled muscle movie. And I freaking love it. Hallelujah. And I feel like there maybe we should there. There's a series here at some time in the future of perfectly executed testosterone filled muscle movies. (laughs) (laughs) celebrating the absurdness of the potential of the physical form. I think this is definitely an 80s era 
series. <laughs> yeah. Everything we do has to be, has to make you look at the people on the film and say, really? <laughs> that's the, that's the series title. Really? <laughs> I can't wait. Totally afraid. Thanks, Letterboxd.